Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. church family. Good to see you guys. Welcome to the House of Friends. So glad you're spending part of your Sunday with us. And this is a uh, uh, great time of year to be a Christian. We're in uh, next Sunday's Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Uh, a lot of things going on here at Liberty. And it really is a tremendous opportunity for you to participate in our mission. Um, you know, out there on the wall, it says Liberty exists to lead people to new life in Jesus Christ. And, you know, you could be a part of leading them to new life in Christ by a simple invitation. And so I just let me encourage you this time of year, really every, all times of the year, but this time of year, there are some people out there, maybe in your life or circle, who would not necessarily say yes to an invitation to come to church if it wasn't for Good Friday or Easter. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that and reach out to them. We've got a number of events here at Liberty that are great to invite people to. Next Saturday, this coming Saturday evening, I should say, um, at... Uh, 6 o'clock this Saturday evening, we have something called Easter Jam, which is a great program for kids and their families. So you could, you could invite them to that. Uh, then, of course, a week from Friday, Good Friday service. And then uh, two weeks from today, Easter Sunday. So let me encourage you to, to just reach out. We got these little cards out on the floor. You can pick a handful of those up, uh, pass them out to some of your friends or your neighbors or people you work with. If they don't have a church home, uh, we would love to have them here at Liberty so they can hear the gospel. Uh, there's also a social media version of this, I think, on Instagram and Facebook that you can just uh, simply share with some of your friends. So we really want to see as many people as possible here this next week because every ear that hears the gospel, listen, there's potential for what God can do. And we always want to plant some good seeds in the lives of people. So I encourage you to participate in the mission of liberty in that way. Uh, all right. So, uh, hey, we're in this series called Journey to the Cross. And I may have mentioned this a little bit last Sunday, but if you're familiar with the Bible then you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts, they really do cover um, the 33 years of Jesus's earthly life, right? So uh, his birth, his life, his ministry, <clears throat> excuse me, his death, his resurrection, uh, most of all that is found in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, you may not know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of the life of Jesus, over 40%, almost half, deals with the last week of Jesus' life. So 33 years on this earth, and the la almost half of Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with the one final week of Jesus' life um, before, you know, leading up to the cross. And then last Sunday, we were in the Gospel of John. Maybe John's perhaps the most famous of the Gospel accounts. Over 60% of the Gospel of John deals with that one week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, what is often referred to as Holy Week or, or, or Passion Week. Uh, and they, obviously there's a couple reasons for that. One, there's a lot of things going on during the course of that week, and we're talking about some of those things here on Sunday mornings. Uh, but also, and more importantly, you know, the bedrock of the Christian faith 
is the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So that's the foundation of the gospel and everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. I mean, our faith hinges on those two events. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the evangelists, they all understood that. And so it just makes sense that they would devote so much of their books to that one week. And so what we're doing as we move up to Easter is we're looking at some of those accounts. We're looking at some of the events that took place, some of the people who were involved in Jesus' final week leading up to the cross and talking about them together on Sunday morning. So we want to continue that series today. If you were with us last Sunday, I titled the message, The Cautionary Tale of a Chronic People Pleaser. And we learned about uh, Pontius Pilate, if you were here. And Pontius Pilate, we learned, foolishly feared people more than he feared God. The Cautionary Tale of a Chronic People Pleaser. Well, today I want to title the message, The Contrasting Tale of Two Guilty Sinners. And in today's message, I want us to look at two men who both sinned against the Lord, okay? They both sinned against Jesus, and yet they have two very different outcomes to their life. But I want to begin the message by talking about friendship, okay? I hope you have some good friends in your life. We like to call Liberty the house of friends. We hope people will get connected into some deep friendships here at Liberty, and I want you to think about it for a moment. What are, would you say, are the qualities of a good friend? Okay, help me out a little bit. What, what would you say are some qualities you would look for in a good friend? Honesty, Honesty okay. Loyalty, all right. Coffee. <laughs> Coffee, well, okay. Whatever, okay. Um, uh, that's good. Um, they could bring worse things than coffee, I suppose. Um, okay, uh, something else. Empathy, okay, I heard faithfulness. What's that? Compatibility, okay, yeah, personal, you know, kind of want to, yeah, we think of, uh, when it comes to our friends, we think of these, you know, qualities that are a little deeper. Notice nobody said, um, I want my, all my closest friends to be rich. Nobody said that. Uh, that. That might be nice, but it's not necessary. Uh, I want them to be popular. You know, maybe, you know, when you were younger, you wanted to be in with the in crowd, but the older you get, the more you start to value and appreciate those qualities that you guys mentioned, you know, faithfulness and loyalty and uh, dependability and, and support, you appreciate and you value friends that you can count on to have your back in a crisis, uh, who will be supportive in times of need. And if you've ever had a friend like that, and when you were... Um, in a crisis or in trouble or needed somebody to stand by you or stand with you, if you've ever had a friend like that, you've never forgotten them because people, friends like that leave a mark on your soul. Um, they're important and you always remember them. And that's what makes the passage of Scripture we're looking at today uh, pretty tough, actually, uh, kind of difficult because in Jesus' greatest hour of need, Okay, this final week of his earthly life, one of his closest friends betrays him, and another one of his closest friends denies that he even knows him. And of course, I'm talking about two of his 12 disciples, Judas and Peter. They both play a key role 
on our journey to the cross. And we, and we don't often think of these two guys together um, because the outcome of their lives is so different, right? And we know that, I mean, they, go, they take totally different paths after what we talk about today. So we don't always think of them together. But Matthew has forever linked them together here in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, because in the same chapter, Matthew records how Jesus called both of them out in advance for how these close friends of his would fail him in his hour of need. So I want us to think of them together today, Judas and Peter. Because, in the, again, very close proximity together here in Matthew 26. Matthew puts them together and helps us see that both of these guys, close friends of Jesus, walked with Jesus, served with Jesus, and yet they both failed Jesus in his most critical time of need. And I think it's helpful to just add, you know, if you've ever been deeply hurt by someone that you trusted, some of you felt that sting of betrayal or disloyalty from a friend or a family member that you thought you could count on. Well, Jesus in his humanity can relate to that pain. Don't ever think that God can't relate to your pain. Jesus has experienced that. He's felt that. And in his humanity, he can relate to the sting of betrayal or being denied by someone you thought would be a faithful friend. And in his deity, you know, Jesus provides an empathetic savior who can help you. You know, it says of Jesus, he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So, so Jesus is someone, even in your brokenness and your hurt and your disappointment in somebody else, you can find faithfulness and loyalty, true friendship in Jesus. Well, let's pick this passage up in Matthew chapter 26. And the scene is a very familiar scene. It's the Last Supper. You know, you got, Leonardo, you know, you got Da Vinci painting the picture and everything. Uh, not really. But during that final week of Jesus, the disciples gather in the upper room. And here's Matthew's account. Uh, if you're following along in the Bible, Matthew 26, verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Well, they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Well, Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Wow, that's a pretty severe pronouncement, isn't it? I mean, better that this guy would never even had life in his body to begin with. And of course, we know he's talking about Judas, verse 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Now, it's important to point out in this account that at this point, Judas already knows that he's the one who's going to betray Jesus. Okay, it's not surprising to Judas. Um, if you go back to, if you, get, you know, got your Bible open, Matthew chapter 26, if you go back up to verse 14, you can see Judas has already set his plan in place to be the one who betrays Jesus. Matthew 26 verse 14 says, One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, 
What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And that's before, that's before um, the upper room, okay? So Judas has already made these plans, and he is being true to form to Jesus' face, absolutely disingenuous when he says, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely you're not talking about me. I, surely, you don't think I'm going to be the one who's going to betray you, do you? And you can just kind of see the darkness in the heart of Judas in that moment. So there is an unfaithful friend number one. We'll just call him Judas the betrayer. Go down to verse 31, the same chapter, and we find unfaithful friend number two. We'll call him Peter the denier. And again, this is the same evening. Uh, the disciples are still processing this idea. Well, what? Somebody's going to betray Jesus? Surely it's not me. They're kind of thinking through that. And here's what Jesus says in verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Uh, that's actually a messianic prophecy. 500 years earlier, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah is predicting exactly what's going to happen this final week of Jesus' earthly life. Verse 32, Jesus says, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Well, Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. <laughs> Do you know much about Peter? Have you read about Peter in the Gospels? Oh, we Peter is a leader. I mean, he wants to be, anyway. He wants to be a leader. Uh, and sometimes he is. Peter wants to be courageous. He wants to be bold. He wants, to, he wants everybody else to listen to him. He's always the first one to offer up an opinion. That's just kind of his nature. That's how Peter is wired. And so we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus says, all of you are going to fall away on because, of, uh, because of me. Peter's the first one to step up and say, no way, Jesus, right? He's like, maybe these other losers will, will fall away, but Jesus, I am with you, okay? In death or in life, I will be your faithful friend. You know, the name Peter means rock. Peter's the rock, right? But the more we learn about Peter, he's... Kind of like a sand dune, really, okay? <laughs> you know, he just kind of shifts, you know, back. He wants to be a rock. He wants to live up to that name. But there are many occasions in which he falls well short. But Jesus reiterates verse 35, or I should say uh, verse 34. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Now, Peter was uh, an emotional guy. Okay, he, he was a, a passionate guy. I don't doubt that he was sincere in saying these words. But you know how emotional, passionate people are. Um, a lot of times they'll say stuff before you know, their mind kind of catches up with their words, you know, and then, and then after some reflection, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I probably should have just blurted that out in the moment. I'm, I'm confident that if Peter would have stepped back from the situation, he would have thought through it and said, okay, I've been with Jesus for three and a half years now. Every time the guy says something will come to pass, it comes to pass. Since when has there ever been a time when Jesus has predicted something and it didn't turn out exactly the way Jesus said? 
But in the moment, he doesn't really think through it that way. In his emotion, and really in his commitment to Jesus, his personal love for Jesus, he says, no way, Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to bail out on you in your time of need. In a crisis, I'll be a friend that you can count on. But notice, it wasn't just Peter who said that. It says, and all the other disciples said the same. All 12 of them. We're here for you, Jesus, in your time of need. And Jesus says, no, you're all going to fall away. And even though all 12 disciples eventually fall away, and they put some distance between themselves and Jesus, you know, to save their own skin, Jesus clearly singles out these two, Judas and Peter. You know, these two men had traveled with Jesus. They had laughed with Jesus. They had cried with Jesus. They had eaten meals with Jesus. They no doubt had conversations around the campfire with Jesus. They'd served alongside him to advance the ministry of Jesus. But now it's clear, because Jesus said it, one will betray him and one will deny him. And it's important to point out, both of these guys will feel remorse for what they've done. We'll look at that in a moment. Both of them feel remorse, but only one of them truly repent of their sin of failing Jesus. And that one who repents, wow, he goes on to be an er a leader of the early church. Thousands of people come to Christ through his ministry. He ends up writing two books of the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Peter. The other one, however, Judas, we'll see, is unrepentant. He's not really sorry for his sin. Makes no effort to reconcile with Jesus. And he ends up taking his life. And his name will forever be associated with this shameful act of betrayal recorded in the Gospels, right? I mean, how many young parents do you know who are anxious to name their newborn baby boy Judas? I don't know any at all, right? There's a certain names that are associated with darkness and evil and shame, and uh, Judas is one of those. Well, of course, all these sermons that we do here on Sunday mornings, you know, when we gather around God's Word and we talk about the Bible, it's important to know, you know, to learn what happened, you know. But, but it's also equally important for us to learn how what happened applies to our lives, right? And, and so as we look at God's Word this morning, I want you to see that in this familiar account to many of us, there's a lot of personal application for each and every one of us. Because in one sense, you know, we are all guilty sinners like Judas and Peter, right? We, we, we've all sinned. Romans 3, 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. Amen. That's true for Judas, that's true for Peter, that's true for you, and that's true for me. So the question for us is not, you know, are you a sinner like Judas and Peter? Because we are. We are. The question is... Are you on the path of condemnation for your sin like Judas? Or are you on the path of restoration like Peter? Because once again, they both failed Jesus. But one repented and went on to serve Christ faithfully 
and have a great relationship with God, to find forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation and restoration. The other Judas took another path and it ended in darkness and defeat. So the question is not, are you a sinner? The question is, which path are you on? The path of condemnation or the path of restoration? Well, let's take a couple of minutes and look more closely at uh, Judas. As with all of the Jesus' 12 disciples, Judas was Jewish. The name Judas is actually the Greek transliteration of his given Hebrew name, which, which, which are, would have been Judah. Right? We're familiar with the name Judah. He was one of, uh, his parents named him after one of the 12 sons of Jacob. It eventually became one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah. And actually the term Jew comes from that tribal name of Judah. So he, he had a great Hebrew name. His parents, no doubt, were filled with hope when they named him Judah. It's a, it's a great name in the history of the nation of Israel. But beyond his name and his role as a disciple of Jesus, we don't really know too much about this Judas. But there is a very dark and disturbing thing that we read about him in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of John. Matthew doesn't record this detail, uh, but uh, Luke and John record this. It's a disturbing thing we read about Judas. So the scene is, again, it's the upper room, okay, and Jesus is there with his disciples. These are the last sacred moments kind of leading up to the cross when Jesus is meeting with his 12 closest friends. And they're breaking bread together, as was the custom. And Jesus is breaking the bread, and he's passing it out to each of the disciples, again, as was the custom. And, and look what John records about Judas. It's in John chapter 13, verse 27. It says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So right there, during the Last Supper, Again, these sacred final moments leading up to the cross, Judas becomes possessed. And he's not possessed by any run-of-the-mill demon, right? I mean, he is possessed by Satan himself. There is only one other person in the entire Bible of whom it is said they were possessed by the devil himself. Any of you Bible scholars know who that, know who that was? The future Antichrist in Revelation during the end times. John writes that the Antichrist is, is possessed by the devil himself. Pretty bad company to be associated with, right? Only two people, Judas and the Antichrist. And the reason I bring that up is because if you're wondering whether or not Judas was a true believer in Jesus or if you'll see Judas in heaven, the answer is no, you will not. I mean, he hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. He served with Jesus. He had conversations with Jesus. He was in proximity to Jesus for, you know, three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry. But in his heart, Judas did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God and God's sacrifice for the sins of humankind. Judas never had that kind of relationship with Christ. And the reason I say that is because a believer in Jesus cannot be demon-possessed. 
You know, the scriptures clearly teach that. That when you open up your life to Jesus for salvation, God puts his Holy Spirit in your life. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says that God seals your life with his Holy Spirit. So God puts his spirit into your life, and we can say that, you know, God doesn't allow for double occupancy in someone's life. When God puts his Holy Spirit in your life, he seals you up. And so you, you cannot be possessed by the devil or by a demon. Hey, Satan can tempt you. Satan can try to deceive you. Satan can oppress you. But he cannot take control of your body or your mind like he can an unbeliever. Again, because God has sealed up your life spiritually with his Holy Spirit. Years later, uh, the same John who's writing this about, you know, Satan entering into Judas, John would write in, to believers in his letter of 1 John. 1 John 4, 4, John says to these Christians, he says, greater is he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. In other words, hey, listen, you don't have to worry about the evil one taking over you. No, greater is he is, who is in you, the Holy Spirit, than the evil one who is in the world. So we take great comfort in that as believers, but at the same time, the scriptures also warn us that Satan is a, like a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. And that's why we have to be on our guard and be vigilant because the evil one can tempt you and he can deceive you and he can oppress you if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to fill and control our lives. Now, some of you probably have the spiritual gift of mercy, which is a wonderful spiritual gift, and you may be inclined to feel sorry for Judas and be like, you know, you know bless his heart. I mean, the devil made him do it, right? It's right, there. it's right there in John, right? The devil made him do it. And to be fair, yeah, I guess we could say the devil made him do it. I mean, he very clearly, Satan enters into him. But this act of betrayal against Jesus really started long before the devil entered into him. You know, Judas was a greedy, deceptive person long before the upper room when the evil one comes and takes control of him. I guess we could say, yeah, the devil entered into him, but Judas cracked the door open so that the devil could come in. And that happened long before the events we're reading about right here. Some of you, uh, some of you know this account. You can find it in uh, John chapter 12. Uh, Jesus is having dinner with some friends. And, uh, you know, he's got the disciples there. Some of the disciples are there and other people, some other friends. He's just, you know, having dinner and fellowship with some people. And Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but another, you know, the other Mary, uh, she loves Jesus and, and she believes in Jesus as her Savior. And so Mary comes in and she brings this expensive jar of essential oils. Okay, we could say. I don't know if they were essential oils. I don't know. Perfume, we don't know. But, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but it was some, something, you know, some liquid in a bottle that was overpriced, you know, and, uh, and worth a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, she brings, she comes into this dinner, and what does she do? Uh, just out of worship, 
and her admiration and love for Jesus, her devotion to him, she breaks open the jar and she pours all this expensive oil over Jesus' feet and then she starts to dry his feet with her hair. And again, it's just a, really a, a, a beautiful act of worship and submission on Mary's part. But do you remember what Judas, Judas was there? Remember what Judas said when he witnessed this? What a waste, right? I mean, he's like, come on, Mary. You know, we could, have, we could have taken that perfume and sold it and then given all the money to the poor. So self-righteous and sanctimonious. And again, he never had that relationship with Jesus the way Mary did. You think, wait a minute, wait. Some of you practical folks, some of you bean counters are like, wait a minute. Maybe he had something there. Maybe she should have, you know, uh, you know, cashed it in and given the money to the poor instead of poured it out on Jesus' feet. But here's the thing. Judas didn't care about the poor. That wasn't the reason he was even saying that. And again, it's recorded for us in the Gospels. I'll show it to you. John chapter 12, verse 6. Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so don't you see, you don't, don't waste your compassion on Judas, okay? He had every opportunity to repent, but he still leaves this door cracked open for the evil one to come in. And for the believer, it's different. Again, Satan cannot, Satan cannot possess you if you're a true believer in, in Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. But, in another sense, we can, we can allow the devil to get a foothold in our life, can't we? If we choose to live in disobedience, if we, we, if we hear the truth and don't respond to it, if we know of sin in our lives and refuse to repent and confess it, to restore fellowship with Jesus, it's possible for us to leave the door open so that the evil one can tempt us and deceive us in ways that he would not have been able to otherwise. So there is a practical lesson for us, even in the life of Judas. But his unrepentant, greedy, deceptive nature, hey, that was in place long before he did this act of betrayal to Christ. And so it makes sense, in reading that about Judas, just how greedy he was and materialistic, and he loved money. It makes sense to us that he sold Jesus out for what? For money. For money. We read it earlier that Judas sold out his friend for 30 pieces of silver. And we might be tempted to think, oh, that must have been a lot of money back in those days, but it really wasn't. 30 pieces of silver. Most scholars today say that 30 pieces of silver, you know, in today's terms, today's spending ability, today's, that would be about 300 bucks. Not a massive fortune. 300 bucks. That's what it took for Judas to sell out Jesus. And again, it gives us a glimpse into the darkness of his heart. And if you flip, uh, if you're following along in a Bible, if you flip over to the next chapter, Matthew chapter 27, I want you to notice that after Judas did this and betrayed Jesus, he felt bad about it. I mean, he, he actually had remorse for what he'd done because look at Matthew 27, verse 3. 
When, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Judas was remorseful, but he was still condemned for his sin because remorse by itself is not repentance. They're not the same thing. A person can feel bad about something they've done because they know it's wrong. They can have a guilty conscience and perhaps be filled with regret for what they've done. Maybe they're unhappy with the consequences of their sin. Maybe they're sorry they got caught. Not really. You know, remorse is not the same as repentance. It all falls short of true repentance because true repentance is a change of heart. That's what it means. When you're truly repentant of something... There's a change of heart. There's a desire to be reconciled with the one uh, you've offended. Um, there's no evidence of that in Judas's life or his response to his sin. And so he took his betrayal and his remorse to the grave. We might say Judas was filled with remorse, which led to regret, but that's where it stopped. It didn't go any further than that. So if you look at verse 5 of Matthew 27, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. And when I read those verses and the account of Judas's life, I'm reminded of that familiar saying about sin, which says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It can look good. The evil one can make it look so enticing. On the front end, oh, I got to do this, got to have this, got to go this path. But please keep in mind the legacy of Judas, that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that is the sad epitaph of Judas's life. Well, you know, there's no way I can say, okay, have a great day now. You are loved. You know, enjoy your week because that's, that's pretty dark. That's pretty sad. Judas's life is just a sad legacy of someone who never turned to Jesus for salvation. But let's use our closing moments to look at a happier account. I mean, it involves a sinner too, but it has a much better ending. And I'm speaking about Simon Peter. Again, uh, Peter, uh, he failed Jesus as well. He turned his back on Jesus. But, but, but he takes a different path. After he sins, he's on the path of restoration. We'll come back to Matthew 26. You know, Judas betrays Jesus and, and Jesus uh, gets unjustly arrested. We talked about it last Sunday in John. The, the Roman soldiers are... are uh, roughing Jesus up and mocking him. And Peter, who just a short while before is saying, Jesus, I'm with you until death, you know. There's no way I'll turn my back on you. Just a few hours before, now we find Peter filled with fear, melting in fear, because he's afraid his association with Jesus will also land him in trouble. So, uh, again, we're back in Matthew 26, Jesus is being interrogated by the guards. And it says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. 
You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Verse 71, Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Now this is Peter the rock, okay, right? He's the rock. He's the tough guy. He's, all, he's, he's so bold and so courageous. Well, a few hours ago, and now he can't even stand up to these little servant girls who are associating him with Jesus. Well, it continues, verse 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. I mean, what is going on here with Peter the rock? I mean, it's likely some of these same people were in the audience just a few weeks, a year or two, three ago, when Peter was preaching sermons. And now he's dropping F-bombs on all of them. What's up with that? I, mean, I don't know what he said. He swore at them. You know, calling curses down. He's like, that's what it says. I, I swear to God. That's, you know, I, he, he swore on an oath. I swear to God I don't know this guy. And you just think, man, the depth of the betrayal of a close friend to Jesus denies him not once, not twice, not three times. And after that, Matthew records this, immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And Peter's tears here represent a broken and repentant heart. And this is where there's a stark difference between Judas and Peter. Peter didn't just regret what he had done, but he was repentant and broken over what he had done. Judas had remorse that led to regret, but that's where it stopped with him. I just take the money. I mean, I, I, you know, I, uh, he, he never got to the point of true repentance the way Peter did. And so Peter, he, he had remorse too, but his remorse led to repentance. And in that repentance, you know what? It also led to restoration. Because, listen, like Judas, like Peter, we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's standard. Those who repent, however, are different. Those who repent, God sees, God hears, God knows, and God restores. That's the beauty of Peter's account. That's the hope for you and I in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. If we'll repent, hey, we're all sinners, but if we'll repent, God has the desire and the ability to restore you, forgive you, make you a son, make you a daughter, restore the relationship that you have with your heavenly father. And it all hinges on our response to our sin. Are you like Judas on the path of condemnation? Or are you like Peter on the path to restoration?
Well, after the resurrection, you know, Jesus meets up with Peter again. And there's a whole chapter in the Bible, John 21, whole chapter in the Bible devoted to the restoration of Peter. Peter comes to him, he's broken, he's repentant, he's confessing his sin, and Jesus opens his arms and receives him back. We've been reading, and many of you have been reading with me in the Easter Code. This last week we've been, ta- we've been learning about the prodigal son and that father who represents God in the account, in the parable, and, and the son comes running back, and the father doesn't reject him. The father doesn't say, I told you so. The father doesn't abuse him. The father just opens his arms and says, come home, come home. That's Peter in John 21. So Peter is restored, and, and not that long after he's restored, in the early church, Peter is preaching one of the first sermons of the early church. So, so Jesus, you know, he's risen from the grave, he's ascended back to heaven, and now the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and the, and the church has started and starting to grow. Peter preaches one of the first sermons, and it's a great sermon because 3,000 people put their faith in Christ in response to Peter's sermon. And you know what the theme of that sermon is? It's recorded for us. Acts chapter 3. The theme of that sermon is repentance and restoration. You see, Peter is preaching out of his own life. And actually, one of the greatest verses in the Bible on the subject of repentance is found in that sermon. Look what Peter says, Acts 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, aren't you thankful that we belong to a God of second chances, third chances, and and on and on? He's just waiting on a repentant heart so that he can come along and restore you and, and send his winds of refreshment blowing through your life. That's Peter. Well, this isn't... Uh, this isn't in the Bible, but it's recorded in church history, actually. That Peter, you know, again, he became a great leader in the early church. God used him remarkably to bring people to Christ. But church history records that as Peter would go around and preach sermons, you know, out in the public square, that there would always be hecklers in the audience, and the hecklers would crow like a rooster. When, you know, Peter's making his point and he's preaching his sermon, cock-a-doodle-doo, just to remind Peter and to poke fun and disrespect Peter to bring up his most shameful regret that he had denied Jesus in Jesus' time of need. And unfortunately, that can be like people, can't it? I mean, sometimes people like to remind us of our of our failures and our sins. That's very human for people to do that. But it's divine for God to not remind us of our failures, but for God to remind us of his forgiveness, right? And that's what Peter had experienced from the lips of Jesus himself. Come back home. I want to restore you. I forgive you for what you've done. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the word from this account that you need to hear today, dear friend. Because perhaps you've, you've drifted away from the Lord, maybe made some decisions that have put some distance in between you and him. Maybe he's not your priority. Other things have crowded him off the throne of your life. 
Or maybe it's been very blatant and you, you, know, you came to church today and you know, you're here, but you know your life is far from what God wants it to be. Listen, hear the word of the Lord to you. Come on back. Come home. Be restored. Listen, God is ready and willing and able to forgive, to send times of refreshing into your life. He just waits on us to repent. That's what Peter did. And he was blessed. Same will be true for you and for me.